3: This is Bear Sheldon and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. And hey, welcome back, everybody, as we uh, get into part two of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And our panel of political pundits for today's edition includes our roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. And joining us uh, for this week's edition of Armchair Politics, we have a uh, former government official from two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Mark, welcome back to you as well.
4: Gentlemen, nice to be here.
3: Um, yeah, I've, Mark, I, I was surprised to hear you stand up so much for Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, At the end of the you last stand up,
4: yeah, just I stand good, up by uh, it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, just because it doesn't didn't do me any favors. It doesn't mean that uh <laughs> it doesn't mean that it doesn't play a role. But but uh I don't know, it's a tricky it's a very tricky issue. I you know, I'm very struck by uh the evolution of our culture. You know, everything's online and uh very little face to face now and I I hate to see the politics totally lose that uh, uh, we, we had a, a race down here a congressional race uh, it, uh, overnight to the uh, the incumbent congressman it was really pretty worthless was pushed out it was his sixth term and uh he uh was a conservative Republican nobody other than that's going to be elected down here but but yeah uh, uh, he was deemed ultimately ineffectual and sleazy. Nobody would, nobody would have minded the sleazy part, but if he was just getting something done, <laughs> but, but, but he, wanted that. but, um, the fellow I wanted to see beat him ran and, and, um, uh, I helped him, but he only ended up 10% with 10%. And they, what well, they, last night was the runoff between the top two, which was the incumbent and the challenger, the challenger beat him. But our guy had gone out and he'd knocked on more doors than anybody, but it didn't have an effect. And, uh, uh, anyway, you know, it's it's, it's a, you guys know it better than I. It's a complicated dynamic. What makes politics work yeah. and government work? But uh, I hate that we're taking the personal element out of it more and more. And I think those unscripted moments are real and that's where you that's where you learn about a candidate so i I think that's a shortcoming
3: it's it's interesting you say that and i i promised we were going to get into some things that had happened in the last 24 hours uh, but i want to go back to one that uh that we talked about already and that was um this uh michigan supreme court decision to drop the charges against uh, former governor rick snyder and others Because um, on the news, and I mentioned that the the three candidates for mayor in the uh, upcoming August primary, um, our current mayor, immediate past mayor, and the mayor wannabe, were all interviewed on the news. And what's interesting about that and how it ties to what Mark just said is, That's the only time I've seen the three of them on the news in this campaign was playing the victim in the wake of this uh, decision to drop criminal charges against the former governor.
5: Yeah, that's true. I've seen, except except for that, I've seen almost no coverage so far of the, the campaigns per se. I mean, they've, I think a few of them have sent out some flyers, some mail out flyers, but other than that, it's been a very low level campaign and it's only a little over a month away.
3: Well, and and, and it's it's probably going to end up playing out as a as a repeat from the last mayoral election. It certainly know, seems that way, i guess, yeah. I with the current mayor and the immediate past mayor squaring off again, which I, I think is maybe kind of a problem. Um you know it, it it's like once people reach a certain point of of being known to the electorate they're the only ones that really have a chance
5: yeah yeah that's a and and the thing was it i mean the last time they two ran against each other it was a very close election so it may be the, a very competitive race this time i think Yeah. Uh,
3: Well, here's uh, what I teased and and promised from the last segment that we would get into. Cassidy Hutchinson, an aide to former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, testified during a somewhat surprise congressional hearing uh, yesterday. Um, she testified that she was told that former President Donald Trump became irate when informed by security that he would not be going to the Capitol on January 6th because the situation was not secure and she testified that she heard a secondhand account of how Trump was so enraged at his Secret Service detail for blocking him from going to the Capitol that he lunged to the front of his vehicle and tried (laughs) to turn the wheel. Tony Ornado, then White House Deputy Chief of Staff, told Hutchinson that Robert Engel, who was the Secret Service agent in charge on January 6th, repeatedly told Trump on their way back to the White House after Trump's ellipse speech, that it wasn't safe to go to the Capitol, she said. According to Hutchinson, Ornato recounted Trump screaming, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol <laughs> now. Trump then reached up toward the front of the vehicle to grab the steering wheel. Hutchinson remembered learning, um, she added that, according to Ornato, the former president used his other hand to lunge at Engel. After the testimony, a Secret Service official familiar with the matter told CNN that Ornato denies telling Hutchinson that the former president grabbed the wheel or an agent on his detail. Hutchins' testimony... Um, not just about this particular incident, which is clearly hearsay, uh, but some of the other things that she talked about is being called a bombshell. Do you think it's a bombshell? How does her testimony compare to that of John Dean during the Watergate hearings?
5: That, that was the parallel I was thinking of in some way. Actually, more so than the whole the incident in the car was the incident where, assuming it's accurate, where Trump wanted to get rid of the uh, the metal detectors at the rally, so the folks could put guns would would be able to get in. That that strikes me as much more worrisome in some ways than uh, the grabbing of the steering wheel and the grabbing of the Secret Service guy. assuming that's true. So, but yeah, there's some some really you know bombshell statements that were made there. Um, whether it'll change many opinions, I don't really know. Although I I still kind of wonder whether or not we're kind of at a uh, the Joe McCarthy moments where, you know, where Joe McCarthy faced the congressional committee and things kind of fell apart for him. I, I don't know that that's true for Trump, but I, I, am sensing a bit of a drifting away, even among some Trump Republicans. I see if Henry's got any more thoughts on that.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, guys, you know, uh, to tell you the truth, I'm going to remain somewhat mute on this because I don't have all of the evidence and. And I don't want to make uh support a person that did something illegal. And so I hear a lot of uh, comments of condemning the president, the former president. But uh, I'm not, ex- I have to wait for the other data to make sure. And I'll just, but when I do, it will be my own decision made by me for me and not uh, uh, directed to make a decision on that, in that manner, I will do based on my own value system.
3: Thank you. Mark, have you been watching these, um, they keep calling them hearings, um, but I, I I, tend to want to call them presentations of uh, information gathered at the hearings they've been holding.
4: I haven't watched them as they've occurred, but I've watched a lot of the very detailed coverage and read you know, certain transcripts of it. Sure. And, uh, I would say, you know, it's, it's very compelling and telling a story, but that was the, that was the intent of it. I think the interesting thing here is, you know, the criticism of McCarty, did he, did he, uh, err in not having some of his people there to give the other side. I don't think it would have necessarily changed things, but, but what's happened here is the people who are down the line supporters of Trump are, um. You know, they're able to say, well, what do you expect? These are just Democrats, and then they throw in Cheney um, you know, on, uh, with them. But, but to the broader point that you're all raising, I, I think that, um, ironically, the Dobbs decision gives the Trump people a, a way out from supporting him and say, he's their hero. Look what he did. He got uh, Roe, let's go back to your word, Tom, overturned. And they can give him his historic due and then um, move on to somebody else, because I do think they are I, almost everyone, especially the people, maybe not the people who are getting elected now, who are getting elected based on, on the election denial or all those things. But if, you were, if you're a member of Congress and you've been there for five terms, you, you have to be concerned about how the institution is functioning. And you can't be under any illusions, even if you're a, a down the line uh, Trump person, that that your side is suddenly going to get enough to get control, you know, uh, in a in a way that that gets your will. It, it's going to be closely divided. So I think that it may be a turning point, just not not any one event, not one hearing, but just sort of like people saying, "Look, we've done remarkably well. Look what he did. He did great things. He got that court taken care of." and a few other things but it's time to move on with some of the other issues so i i don't think he's necessarily the favorite to continue to have this way he's had over the over over the party I, that's just my own view
3: it seemed when uh when he first became attorney general that uh that william barr was very supportive and protective of the president um and now he he seems if you just take the things that that have been presented uh, in these uh, these hearings um seems well, to William have seems to protective. he seems to supportive. have flipped a little bit and, and yeah I'm just, mark you're familiar with him do you see it that way or um i don't know. You
4: know not necessarily i always thought he was a better attorney general than his critics made him out to be he had certain strong views about the importance of the power of the executive branch, and he was consistent with those I felt over his tenure. And uh, so I don't think he, he deserved all the criticism that he got. Uh, and, and if, if the Mark, did we mistake
3: that, um, his, his uh, belief in the, in the strength of the executive branch, did we mistake that for support for Trump? Well, I, I don't, that, that's one way to look at it,
4: and, and I think that working for Donald Trump had to be an excruciatingly difficult task, no matter who you were, and I, I, I personally think Sessions and and um, Barr did a pretty good job under the circumstances, because that's an organization where you've got to maintain your independence as best you can, and as someone who, you know, as you know, I ran the IRS for four years, and, uh, you have to be independent there. That's your job. I always felt that I was trying to do my best for the country. And yes, of course I wanted to serve George W. Bush well. Uh, he appointed me to three different jobs. And, and But the point, the way you have to do it in a job like that or attorney general is you have to call the shots the way you see them. And I I think Barr did that. You can quibble with his write-up about the Mueller report when it came in or things like that. But... I, I think, as a whole, he 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 did a pretty good job there, and uh, so I I don't criticize him as much for his action in the beginning, and I don't praise him quite as much for his actions as now <laughs> some are praising him. What <laughs> What
3: did you think about and I, and I don't know if you even saw this testimony, the exchange that took place between the uh, the the upper level. Uh, people at the Justice Department after his departure when uh, the president was thinking about um, replacing Rosen with uh, Jeff uh, I, I
4: think look. I think this is the good news they're they're like the people in Michigan or in Georgia who stood up to uh, tremendous pressure individual uh, mm-hmm. a great personal presence but also uh, obviously great authority and that couldn't have been easy, but those are those were people who were basically mid level a lot of them uh, a lot of them in their thirties or forties with a lot of runway left in their careers. It's <laughs> not somebody you know it's, okay it's, you can argue it's easy uh um i'm sixty seven it's easy to you can say to take decisions that are a principle because you're not going to have that many more swings at that, but some of these people knew that what
3: the cost would be hey, and yet Mark, they still stood up i, I, I hate so, to interrupt you because i i, I want to pick up on that thought um because we're about the same age but we have to take a break here so we'll pick it up when we get right. back well we'll hey, be older when we get
4: back
6: Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
4: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue with our uh, weekly political roundtable, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring uh, roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined this week by Mark Everson. And... Um, I'd, I'd like to go back and pick up where we where we left off uh, before the break. Um, Mark you were talking a little bit about the courage shown by the uh, Justice Department uh, officials um, facing Donald Trump and and basically saying that they would all resign if he made a certain change in the leadership there. yeah I, I think the broader point Tom is that the system helped now it may have gotten
4: perilously close to a <laughs> collapse. True. But 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 the system held. And so the the real issue here is to be accumulating all this evidence and everything else to sort of say David, I think David Brooks was the one who wrote a column about this saying, why aren't the discussions about the future right now uh, in terms of how how we strengthen our institutions so that we attract good people and jobs like the election jobs at the state level or even, you know, at lower levels. And, and, and so that good people are there who are defending and trying to improve these institutions and make them work and hold, I think, hold them accountable and everything else. But uh, no, when you read some of these individual stories or look at this woman who came forward yesterday, I mean, that's a remarkable thing. She's finished with uh, her career in terms of certain people and areas that she's ever going to work in. And it, uh, and I heard a commentary this morning from a liberal perspective saying the reason they rushed that hearing was that she was coming under tremendous pressure not to testify some people. And, uh, but I think we've had a, numerous since the election, numerous uh, folks who've stepped forward, including, as I've said before, those in Michigan and in uh, In Georgia, it was certainly demonstrated in recent
3: hearings in Arizona other places. When you brought up uh, the age of some of these uh, people that find themselves in in these very complicated and serious issues and discussions and and how much road life they have left, it reminded me of a saying I heard about, um, I, I have a great future behind me. (laughs) <laughs> well i'll tell uh,
4: i'll tell one story that uh is is uh sort of interesting and which helped shape shape me um i went to washington the first time in 1982 and and uh watergate was pretty fresh in the rearview mirror uh you, john dean came up earlier uh, this morning the man who replaced him was len garment len garment was uh an attorney and um he was the one who said they got to turn over those tapes and and uh he he became sort of one of the preeminent washington guys you go to when you got in trouble and my boss um charlie wick who was very close to reagan he ran the u.s information agency and they were very close personally so close that on Christmas Eve, the Reagans would go to the Wicks' house, and on Christmas Day, the Wicks would go to the Reagans' house. And that included mm-hmm. the eight White House years. So that's a, that's a close relationship. And Charlie was a pallbearer in the president's funeral. To but at any rate, Charlie was uh, obsessive about trying to remember what people said and, and uh, the counsel he was getting. And what he took to, he started recording phone conversations. And uh, he would record it. If it was Henry Kissinger or or the Foreign (laughs) Defense Minister from Israel or, you know, Brian Love from the Beach Boys, it didn't matter who it was. He would record the conversation and have it transcribed so that his staff would follow up on the points that were raised. It wasn't some, there was no nefarious motive. It was out of his own desire to get done everything. But anyway, this this had one small problem. It was illegal in certain states and, uh, you know, so he came under a lot of scrutiny, and they were, the Democrats were going after him, and Ed who was a senator, and all sorts of things were happening. And he hired Len Garment to, um, to represent him, because Len was good at getting people in jams like this, told them what they had to do, and, and keep it clean, and then, you know, apologize, and everything, which is hard for a lot of these people to do. But at any rate, at one point, uh, I was sort of working for Wick as the aide who was doing a lot of the work of assembling what, what documentation we had and everything in the agency, because you can imagine there were messages that follow up on what Henry Kissinger said, or you've got to do this. Anyway, the bottom line is that uh, one Saturday night, Len was coming back from Penn Station at uh to uh and he got the union station and i had to meet him like at ten thirty at night on because he was a very busy guy on a saturday night and i i remember we were in a car going to his house uh, literally like at ten thirty eleven on a saturday night when when uh it was dark and raining and everything and he was he sort of he said he said to me i guess i was probably I was approaching thirty. I was probably twenty nine. He said, "Mark, you have a very bright future. Just because one of these uh, powerful men asks you to do something doesn't mean you have to do it, or something like that." I, I can't remember. I wish I could. I wish I'd. Re- I wish I recorded. It, <laughs> <laughs> so record it, it. Yeah, yeah. But it was just the voice of total wisdom and experience saying, "Don't get swept up in this." And I've got to tell you, there's nothing more intoxicating than working in a presidential administration because your your pride and service to the nation uh, is very much there, and then you get uh, personally you personally identify with the candidate or the or the president, the office holder, and uh, so it is tough for some of these people who who especially this some of this group which had you could say thinner resumes, but they they're, it's all built around their Trump experience. The ones who 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 party company and step forward, you have to, you know, they're, they're, we're long since past, long past the uh, the moment where writing the tell all is going to generate any interest from this lady uh, Cassidy. That's not going to do it. So that to come forward on this is or the others, it's uh, to me it it just it took a certain amount of courage on the part of some of these people.
3: Yeah, she I was
5: think... only twenty-five years old. Apparently, it's twenty-five or twenty-six, wasn't she?
3: Yeah, I think you're well, right. Think
4: her, and, and those are the those are the people, Paul, who make things happen. You know, Mark yeah. Meadows will be he'll be in a dozen meetings over the course of the day with the president, but she'll be given the follow up on three or four of those meetings, and she'll be acting on behalf of the chief of staff and the president. So she's she sees a lot. There are there are a couple dozen people like her. You know, and one of them was like Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh was the staff secretary. You, that's somebody who was in there constantly with the president, working on documents, and 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 such. And there are just a lot of people who are not household names who are in there in the West Wing who are uh, doing that work. And to 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 cut from the herd is is that's hard. That is hard.
3: You know, when you mentioned Mark about uh, getting that advice, you don't always have to do everything. Um, and not to get too carried away with, you know, an assignment. Reminded me of something uh, Donald Rumsfeld said in an interview um, that had to do, remember when uh, then-President Nixon was concerned about leaks and he wanted all of the White House staff, some 1,100 people, to be given lie detector tests. mm And he gave the the job to Rumsfeld. He said, I want this done. And Rumsfeld said, you know, I I knew this. First of all, it was a really bad idea. Second of all, it was impossible to do. And, you know, I I just decided that it wasn't going to get done. So I let it sit for two or three days, let the president cool down, and then went back to him and explained why we couldn't do it. Right, no, well, the same, the same administration,
4: uh, George Schultz was the Treasury Secretary, and, you know, the famous enemies list, people said we want the IRS to audit these people. Well, that list went over to Schultz, and uh, it went to the, I, 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 I can't remember where it went to Schultz first, but it went to the, got to the IRS, and uh, Schultz and the, um, the uh, commissioner at the time decided that that list would, would just go in as safe. In the commissioner's office, and that's where it would remain. <laughs> but, but you know, but now yeah. the common law—the common law—is that those people were audited, which was not correct. It was, you know, it was—it was all investigated and and determined as so I said. But, you know, then the then the media and the historians—it all gets some of this gets twisted over time. So, I do think whatever you think about these hearings, however flawed they might be, from not having the totally bipartisan membership or being this, I wish they. I think what they did wrong in these hearings is, I think the real question is why didn't the FBI do more? Uh, certainly, one of the real questions here. I, 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 I think that there is a total failure of, of preparedness for these these uh, pretty foreseeable events. But, but uh, they didn't look at that element for whatever reason, and I, I think they were afraid to go after another institution. But, but uh, whatever you want to say about them, they have helped create an historical record, which is important as you look back and reflect on this time.
3: Well, I had an interesting Yeah, I think the real, the real on, thing is the historical record. I had an interesting guest on... I don't think it's going to have on, any
5: effect on the election, but I think the history is going to matter. I,
3: I yes, an, I agree with it. I had an interesting guest on yesterday, Harlan Ullman. He's uh, written a book um, late last year called The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Existential Danger to a Divided Nation and the World at Large. And he raised the question, and, and we talked about it uh, quite a bit. And, and so if you want to hear that conversation, you can go to the archive. It was yesterday uh, during the 10 o'clock hour. And uh, the question he raised was, if Donald Trump were to be charged with a crime out of these hearings, would Joe Biden pardon him? the way hmm. that um, uh, Jerry Ford did of Richard Nixon in the wake of the Watergate scandal. And, you know, people forget that there there were people calling for Nixon's head throughout that, you know, the the impeachment hearings and then after his resignation, you know, he should be arrested and put in jail and yada, yada. And, um, and Gerald Ford... Um, it, pretty much gave up his second term so that yeah. Richard Nixon would not end up in the docket. And, and to your point, Tom, it was considered statesmanlike at the time. Caroline
4: Kennedy the uh, profi- gave the first or second, whatever it was, Profile and Courage Award. I don't, can't remember what at the end of the year. Yes, so, I recall that. But, and, and it was too forward for that pardon to say that was done at cost to the president. But it was done for the right reasons, whether you agree with it or not. And, uh,
3: you know, but it's made uh, a little bit more complicated in this particular situation because Ford had served as as Nixon's vice president. (laughs) They were both Republicans. Now you've got two people that that ran against each other for president. They're of two different parties. But would Biden look at that, um, you know, that that. Thing about we don't want to see an American president deserving or not in the docket. You know, I think the question is: Would would if he did that? Would that play a role in uniting the nation? I mean,
5: that was the idea with with Ford and Nixon, the idea of uniting the nation after Watergate. Would it do the same thing now? I it might. I don't know, but I think that's that would be the goal if he did.
3: Well, there's really two two questions to to talk about and and get feedback on do you think charges would ever be filed against Donald Trump no. they you know you mentioned that you were surprised the FBI hadn't done more now that this information is being released from Congress from their hearings it looks like the Justice Department is maybe kicking things up a notch and and are looking more at these events and in this various testimony um, would he ever be charged?
1: So, you know, sorry. i just thinking about the conversation that you're having. The best example of civility that I ever read was when Abraham Lincoln forgave the South and all of the people who perpetrated the revolution, I mean, the, uh, the order of the day. And uh, he says, we will uh, forget the war. We forget all of the things that happened and we'll move ahead as a nation again. Uh, But in this case, with uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden belongs to a different political party. The country's badly divided, and there are people that don't care about the nation, they care about only themselves and their predicaments. I don't know whether that would happen, but it would be a good gesture if it did. If you ever degrade the president, you put him on the chopping block. You will also destroy the uh, integrity of the nation.
4: So um, I'm not sure where I come out on the charging yet. Um, I, for the reasons I've been articulated I, I'm reluctant to support it as a, because you don't want anybody who assumes any office, and it applies to the governor for the Flint Prop, all sorts of things. It's got to be a pretty unique set of circumstances, public corruption or others, that justify some criminal act relating to what somebody's done in office. We may be there on this. It's pretty atrocious. But um, I'm not 100% settled on that because of these issues. Is it good or bad and and everything else? I will say this about the president, though. I have been disappointed in his stewardship of the country that he hasn't... uh, hued to the uh what he said he would in terms of uh of uh working with the center trying to work across the aisle he's he's instead at almost every turn gone with the far left or more liberal elements of the party and i think that that has precluded a lot of progress on a lot of issues and would make it really difficult to do this if he had if he'd been stronger earlier on saying i was elected for my tone, to change the tone of the country more than to change the policies.
3: Um, He would have had people screaming on the left, but he would have gotten a lot more done
5: at at this point. He might have been able to do this.
3: He's had this this agenda, and and I think you're right, Mark. It seems like time and time again we've seen the president make an offer to the other side of the aisle. Are you with me or not? No? Okay, we'll do it on our own. And he hadn't been able to deliver
4: on his own because of the, the very narrow margin that they secured uh, in the election, and 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 now, you know, and it's it's too late to turn. I mean, the, the issues that are so uh, concerning the inflation, the crime. The crime is a huge issue. Um, I, I I'll tell one quick story. I was uh, back with some friends, a fellow. Um, um at yale who was they were doing an event in new haven over in in may and uh he's a prominent chicago guy uh married to an african-american woman they've lived in uh he's a white guy they've lived in a hyde park area of the city uh which is you know a certain enclave in the south side Mm -hmm. Uh, and they have their children and uh are black, mixed race, black, married one married to a dark skinned black. These are people who are responsible centre left folks who have spent decades supporting civil rights and the diversity and all the causes that uh, that are you, hail back to the issues on the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, but they are really worried about the crime in Chicago and and the younger generation that just having children now they don't see themselves living in the city where they're raising their kids this has got to be concerning to people and 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 shedding that responsibility for that is very tough for the uh, for the democrats right now i read something yesterday or today about how, how ripped out of the frame people in Oregon are, because of uh, how, how bad things were in Portland uh, over the last couple of years. So, so it's too late for people to pivot. They can change and, and tack to the center over time, but in the short term, just pivoting and get, you know saying, oh, we didn't really mean it, uh, that's not where we are. We need a fundamental rebuilding, and it's got to take place, I would tell you, on both sides. What the Republicans has done, many have been atrocious, but Democrats have embraced certain policies that are not that are not selling, and they're not, and they're not going to. So it's, it's it's not like there's a clear answer on either side. Yet, I would say.
5: Yeah, I think Democrats need a clearer agenda. I mean, that's, I mean, we it can't be all anti-Trump. It's got to be a more defi- de- definitive agenda, and uh, that has been vague.
4: Yeah. Well, hasn't been sensible, Paul. I think that it, it's yeah. been, they they let the rhetoric of uh two years ago you defund the police and and actually oh, made that, moves. That was the worst Logan ever. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no All of that and that has tarred because of the crime, that has tarred the party and the and now and you know and and they they've made blunder after blunder say calling the inflation transitory as opposed to saying, yeah, we've noticed this, we're gonna work on it. We we're sorry about it. But they, they came across as Trump-like, saying, "No, this China virus is nothing to worry about." That's what they were saying about mm-hmm. the inflation. And uh, well, they um, kind of. Uh. And, and what's
3: interesting about that point you make, Mark, is, you know that for the last several years, largely because uh, Trump loomed so large over the conversation, we've been talking about how divided the Republican Party is, But if you look at the divide between, say, AOC, and mansion oh
5: yeah
3: yeah you know uh, there's there's the same kind of split within the democratic party um it's just there's a little bit less of a spotlight on their differences than than on the gop right now now you know
1: there's there's another thing that really disturbs probably all of the american people it's when the democrats do several things that are just atrocious. It drives us further apart racially and all of that stuff. When they say they're going to pack the courts or they're going to bring Washington, D.C. in as a state or, you know, uh, some other uh, island as uh, Puerto Rico, for example. You know, that, that has to scare the white Americans. You know, and let's talk seriously about this. And whether you're Democrat or Republican, they want to prevail as the people who gave birth to this country, its laws, and so on and so forth. It's a worthwhile pursuit. But when Democrats say that, they drive the country further apart. And, um, and nobody wants to see us go to a, a uh, totalitarian government of any kind. If you destroy one party or the other, that's what you do. So let me say one more thing, though,
4: to try and pull us back into a point of optimism. I do think that uh, what all this talk we've had today about elections and then, you know, the Dobbs decision. And I'm from Mississippi, by the way. We call it the Dobbs decision (laughs) because he was our chief else officer. it is the Dobbs decision. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I would say... The hopeful thing here, and I've said this before on this show in terms of the response to the, uh, the pandemic, we are seeing different organizations, governmental entities, exercising their authority at different levels, be it federal, state, county, city, whatever, or school boards, and they're going in different directions and sometimes in surprising directions. So that is, that is positive about the democratic experiment. That, that people are taking these responsibilities really seriously, is it sloppy? Yes, it, it seems to have gotten almost dangerous uh, or has gotten dangerous, but I think there's some hope here because you are seeing people getting engaged, and what has to happen now is we have to get more people engaged so that the extremists on one end or the other don't don't just get their way, uh, but the engagement we 're seeing at different levels where you're getting sort of inconsistent. And sometimes novel uh, policy.
3: Yeah. Uh, We've got to break (laughs) We'll be back with our final segment right after this. Guess what? You're listening to the Tom
1: Sumner Show right now.
3: And now. And now, too. And even now. and welcome back everybody as we roll into the final segment of today's edition of armchair politics and the Tom Sumner program this is the part I always look forward to the X-files those weird and wacky stories that uh, seem too strange to be true but often are and sometimes not that much stranger than the mainstream headlines here's one uh, incredible footage of a Ukrainian man shaving his beard with a rocket embedded in his kitchen is going viral online in the footage the guy can be seen having a totally normal shave life does go on after all even if you have a warhead just chilling in your home (laughs) In the footage uploaded to Reddit, the man shows off the hole in his ceiling where the undetonated rocket entered. He doesn't seem too fussed, but we would 100% not be in that house if a missile came through the roof and didn't go off. Thankfully for this bloke, it seems like officials have stopped by his home to make sure everything is safe. Would you call this a close shave? (laughs) I think so, (laughs) Uh, to say the least. Well, NASA wants its moon dust and cockroaches back. The Space Agency has asked Boston-based RR Auction to halt the sale of moon dust collected during the 1969 Apollo 11 mission that had subsequently been fed to cockroaches during an experiment to determine if the lunar rock contained any sort of pathogen that posed a threat to terrestrial life. The material, a NASA lawyer said in a letter to the auctioneer, still belongs to the federal government. The material from the experiment, including a vial with about 40 milligrams of moon dust and three cockroach carcasses, was expected to sell for at least $400,000 but has been pulled from the auction block, our, our said Thursday. All Apollo samples, as stipulated in this collection of items, belong to NASA and no person, university, or other entity has uh, ever been given permission to keep them after analysis, destruction, or other use for any purpose, especially for sale or individual display, said NASA's letter dated June 5th. It went on, we are requesting that you no longer facilitate the sale of any and all items containing the Apollo 11 lunar soil experiment, the cockroaches, slides, and post-destructive testing specimen, um, by immediately stopping the bidding process, NASA wrote. In another letter dated June 22nd, NASA's lawyer asked our auction to work with the current owner of the material to return it to the federal government. How long will it be before the American flag on the moon is replaced with a for sale sign? <laughs> <laughs> right. um, an ambitious let, realtor. let me
4: just say to this, uh, what's appalling here is that NASA's worried about this and the original experiment, as an old New Yorker, cockroaches can eat anything. I mean, uh, <laughs> they, that, that's right. One thing if they said mice eating this stuff, but cockroaches, they're indestructible. So I don't get what they're trying to prove here.
3: Yeah, I don't, uh, Tom, I, I don't know how much information we get out of that, Mark. Go ahead, you know, Uh
1: Tom, how, how did this information, which originally belonged to the federal government, fall into the hands of a non-governmental entity.
3: Oh, I think it was probably turned over to a research lab somewhere, and when the experiment was shut down... But it down, still belongs to They got rid of the stuff improperly.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. it still belongs to the federal yeah. government. I, I don't understand that at all. The government is very
3: protective about it. it uh, well, that's that's what they're telling the auctioneer.
5: Well, you um, know, I, I was thinking if. If cockroaches are worth that much money, a lot of old abandoned homes in Flint are worth a lot more than anybody thought. <laughs>
3: <laughs> You're probably right about that. Yeah. Well, along those uh, along those lines, creepy, nightmarish-looking dolls, sometimes covered in barnacles that grow out of their eyes, are washing up along Texas shores, according to research. Uh, to researchers who survey the area for sea life. Where the dolls came from is a mystery, but the Mission Arkansas Reserve has been collecting the scary figures as they find them along a 40-mile stretch of coastline, Uh, according to Jace Tunnell, director of the Mission Arkansas Reserve at the University of Texas Marine Science Institute, she told us to the uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. So far the reserve has collected about 30 dolls, Tunnel said in a Facebook video in October. Some are missing arms or legs and others have algae growing inside the eyes and mouth as well as barnacles. Some have uh, clearly been chewed on. An image of each one gets posted on the group's Facebook page which has generated a substantial following ever since. The first figure discovered by researchers was a sex doll. When, when Tunnel posted the image online, someone bought its head for $35, he said. Oh, my God. The, the funds were donated to a sea turtle program. Tunnel sells the dolls at a yearly fundraising auction. He's not sure what the people who purchase the dolls do with them, he said. Could these dolls be rejected brides for Chucky? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Entirely possible,
4: yeah. you want to clean up the dolls just send in the cockroaches
3: yeah there you go right (laughs) (laughs) well uh, that wraps it up for uh today's edition of um the X-Files on uh, armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program. But we have uh, about three minutes left, and there were a couple of things. I wanted to spend more time talking about the, uh, the hearings this week, but there were other big things that, that were on my agenda to talk about today. We didn't get to uh, some of the Supreme Court decisions and the impact on uh, Second Amendment and religious freedoms. And um, there's, there's also... Um, the president just went abroad to to try to help shore up uh nato and other support for ukraine and um, you know support for ukraine seems to be declining a little bit um not Let just me comment uh, on that though, real quickly
4: yeah um, uh, one of the big events of the week was erdogan withdrew his objection to uh to the two countries. Uh, uh, Scandinavian countries joining uh, joining NATO, so that's very yeah, big. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And, and, and that's that's a very strong statement. I think that that uh, Putin's going to have to really think about. So, I think that is the, one of the big events of the week, and a, and a good event.
5: Yeah, well, one event of the whole Ukrainian issue is that it strengthened NATO in a way nobody would have imagined. I mean, it looked like NATO was you know, somewhat of a fading issue for a while, especially during the Trump administration. And now it appears to be stronger than ever as a result of the Ukrainian invasion.
3: I mentioned we talked yesterday, I I talked with uh, Harlan Ullman about this notion of Donald Trump being charged for something and whether or not Joe Biden would pardon him. Um, We talked about that at length, but we talked for the full full first hour of the show yesterday, I talked with Brendan Beery, who is kind of my go-to guy on everything Supreme Court. And we talked a lot about uh, the recent ruling. So if you want to give that a listen, it was the nine o'clock hour on yesterday's show, if you want to go to the archives and put an ear on that one. Brendan always has some interesting uh, knowledge and insights. As does our... uh, our third chair today, Mark Everson. It's always a treat when Mark comes on the show because a lot of times the things we talk about, he's seen uh, up closer than the rest of us. Yes, always gives us
5: more confidence welcome. that the, uh, what's called the deep state will, will sometimes take care of other issues that are at the surface <laughs> very, very well. It's <laughs> good to have that power there.
1: Yes. Well, and I I'm, a fool.
4: I'm an and activist, always, yeah. but I'm a fool maybe. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and
3: I appreciate you guys,
4: and thank you, thank you for your kind words. I will say that.
3: Okay, yeah. and, and uh, of course, um, Henry. Wait, wait, Tom. Wait a minute. Wait. A minute. Let yeah, me close. Ahead. You
4: can't let this go
3: without recognizing that Mississippi now
4: has two different teams, two, two years in a row, who have won the College World Series. Mississippi State and then Ole Miss, and that in baseball, that's a big deal.
3: It didn't show. Oh, top no. the average. That means everybody's going to have to learn how to spell Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much. And uh, to our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and uh, Henry Hatter, I want to thank you both for your thank you. continued you participation. You bet. Have a good evening. And All happy Independence right. been-
4: everybody.
3: Hey, thank you, Mark. Take care. Bye that's smoking george winters tickling the ivories let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room but i'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the tom sumner program in the meantime good night everybody
0: the tom sumner program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions